Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very, very, very excited to have my good buddy, Mr. Ashton Ricardo, on the line with us today, all the way from Toronto, A, Canada. What's up, Ashton? Let's go. Let's go. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Okay. Okay. So um, as John explained, my name is Ashton Ricardo. I'm currently on Twitter. My Twitter handle is powered by pain i just changed it i had a recent hack so trying to avoid all that drama <laughs> um so um like i guess you know i didn't really plan for this i'm just you know um i guess um to start off like you know um i have a production company called dead in 100 um essentially you know what we do is you know take pictures great content um you know i've spent the last like 10 10 years or so um, essentially, it's just like honing in on my skill in photography as an art director. Um, and then we essentially just like, you know, we run a full production studio specializing in produ- providing like high quality services um, and just like working in the industry. So commercial work, video work, um, digital assets for businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, you can always check us out at deadin100.com. Um, and, you know, like, I love doing business, but if anything, let's just build a relationship and get to know each other. And, you know, we can go from there. Like, I feel like there's, um, everyone's an artist, but that's kind of what I do. Um, you know, I'm somehow, no, I don't know if that was good, but yeah, no, that was good, man. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How did you get your start? Like what, you know, where was like, where did the love of photography and, and video making come from? Where did the production studio start? Like, what was like your, your starting point? Okay. So, um, okay. So my grandfather, he, um, in he's from jamaica okay so i guess my great-grandfather had a bunch of hotels um and um he my great-grandfather married a woman um who ended up killing him um in jamaica and they owned a bunch of hotels so um because my great-grandfather was a little fearful for his life and this like relationship and i don't know if you know about jamaica it's a developing country um there's a lot of like poverty people are hungry um and like life is not really valued so my great grandfather gave my grandfather two options. He gave him two plane tickets, one to go to England and one to go to Toronto. Um, I believe at the time, um, like Toronto was accepting a lot of like foreign or immigrants in the country. And then that's kind of like where my family started. So he brought like my grandma um, and his three kids, my mom and her two brothers and my uncles. Um, and he was a photographer, but um, it's kind of crazy because like Jamaica is such a small island and everyone like, like to give you context, like a lot of Jamaicans are like either in Japan, England, Toronto, New York. Right. So, you know, we touch on these cultures, but um, my family settled in Toronto and uh, my grandfather was a dope photographer. Like um, I, you know, RIP, I really miss him to this day, um, but he was like a big influence in terms of like a father figure. Like he really did his part to like, at least keep the family structure together. Like, um just he really just like was the backbone of my family and uh he was a photographer and i i really realized like and i guess like my influence comes from like, he would take us up to niagara falls take pictures but he took pictures simply to document our family tree mm-hmm. and these family events so i have all these pictures from my, at my grandma's house where like it's just like these swagged out jamaicans and suits <laughs> and all this stuff coming from church or these events and these functions but like you know, and now I can ask my grandma, I'm like, who's that person? They're like, oh, that's your cousin from like, blah, blah, blah. But it served as a, a way of tying us all together, even though we were like in different parts of the world. So that's kind of how I started. And, um, you know, um, I, I have my first picture, which was at the Toronto Zoo. Um, and it's like of a polar bear. And like, ever since then, I've been so addicted. And he just supported my passion for photography. We would hang out, he would shoot, he would give me the camera, he would write on the pictures and stuff so yeah that's kind of where it started for me that's dope man so your very first picture you ever took was of a polar bear at the zoo yeah i have it i'll send it to you over the dms i personally want to be a national geographic photographer no then, way you know no yeah shit. like yeah it was kind of like i loved animals um i always wanted to be a vet like growing up i i just connected with animals i don't know what it was and maybe we can deep dive deep i kind of understand why but i always had a fascination with animals and just like like animals would always come up to me and like, you know, so I was always just curious about that. And I wanted to be a vet when I was younger. 
That's cool, man. Um, so you're a little kid and you find out that you're in love with taking pictures and you love animals. What was like the process like, you know, going through high school and college, graduating and then going into the creative field and, and like what made you start your studio? Okay. So, okay. I have to give you the context of like my environment for you to understand that. So, okay. My mom did this thing where like, we weren't well off. Like, you know, we were, <laughs> I don't even want to say middle-class. I can, I can basically say like, we were struggling. Like I, like as a kid, I didn't understand that, but mm -hmm. she always did this thing where she would move into these like affluent neighborhoods and to ensure that like I went to the best schools because oh, nice. I guess with my my older brother went through the English school system and I went to the all French school system and she like her having her first kid I think I feel like she made some mistakes um in terms of just like being aware just to give you also context my family's like the first black family in this like that bought a house in this like neighborhood in Toronto so wow that's a whole other a whole yeah. other story um <laughs> that's kind of like the context of it and i know we don't use that but um so when i was growing up i was always in these rich neighborhoods <laughs> but i was i always i always felt like i was different i always felt like an outsider so um i i grew up on 35 charles street which is charles street is like in yorkville so i don't know if you listen to drake um but like I'm, I'm, I'm where you can't right? shop yeah it's a very fancy posh neighborhood like really upper class like i'm talking about like it's it's a balling neighborhood um so she did that and then um i like you know i i just always wanted to express myself and i always want to connect because i later found this out later like i was abandoned as a kid so i, I always felt outside in and like i think it's like abandonment comes with a lot of other things but i always wanted to connect with people and what could like i went to an all french daycare because of where I lived. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, I went, th I went through the French school system, which like at the time there was only one French elementary school where every kid technically, even outside of the city would go. Wow. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how it started. So I had a few teachers that just encouraged me. Um, and like, it's a public school, but it felt like a private school because of the, like how small the classroom sizes were. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what kickstarted everything. Like just um, the need to express myself. And I like, you know, I, I used to get in a lot of trouble. Like, um, like moving later into high school, um, I grew up in uh, Witchwood in Toronto, which is also another posh neighborhood, St. Clair and Bathurst. Um, it's like Forest Hill, which actually um, Drake is from. Drake is from the neighborhood um, called Forest Hill. And it's a very like upper class neighborhood. And again, the same sentiments happened. But in this case, um my environment was a little more toxic because like it's separated like you have this neighborhood called cedarville forest hill but on the other side where i kind of live um it was like you know immigrants uh, very right. like it was poverty stricken they call they call it little jamaica right now and it's kind of sad because they're tearing it down and rebuilding oh. this gentrification but um to give you just an idea like if you google um heartless g toronto you'll understand the environment I was in. So he's like the first rapper and it's so sad. Like uh, he just killed somebody in front of my mom's place oh, just shit. because they were a stranger. And then he was like the first rapper in Canada to be, to have his music video um, used as like to indict him for a murder charge based on it because he was on the run, dropped a music video. <laughs> no one really spoke about it. Dude, this and just then, happened um, to those two rappers. Who was it? Gunna and what was the other guy? Yeah um young thug young thug yeah this is the same so, thing that's going on with them right now right exactly but this is the first case in canada they were like we're gotcha. using this music video because it's it, you're basically you Admitting look it. like a murderer yeah right and, and you drop this on the run and no one like he was on the run for like two months i believe wow. and then someone was just like you want to know where he's at like take a look at this music video and <laughs> you know it's it's really bad basically but yeah. just to give you context and, and then i don't want to like gl uh, glorify like any of that stuff no, just because sure. like yeah um, but it's where you grew up my story yeah it's where i grew up right and a part of it was i had the two sides of it like i grew up in the hood and then i would go to school with like french dukes and like all this stuff um and it was just so polarizing right so yeah um did you have a hard then, time did you have a hard time fitting in as what i would imagine was one of the few minorities in the school okay so yes i did because i was the only jamaican that spoke French. So I was like, yes, I'm, I'm a, I'm a black Canadian, but 
um, we had African kids and, you know, we have different, it was very multicultural. And I had black teachers, I had white teachers, I had okay. teachers from like Ukraine. It was very diverse, but like the African kids didn't consider me black because I wasn't from Africa. Oh, right. And then the white kids were like, you're not really white because you're, you know, so I, yeah. I always had this complex where Domin- I was too Dominicans white. are like that a lot too, right? Yes. Like, yeah. They're like, I'm not black. I'm Dominican kind of thing. Yeah. For, for sure. So yeah. we, in, in the Caribbean, we call it the caste system. And like, you could see me, I'm kind of fair skin. I'm, I have a yellow undertone. So I, I am favored culturally, but I don't believe in the caste system. And I think that like, I'm, I was always trying to like, be like, yo, we're all human. Let's just get along. Absolutely. We're all the same, but even as a young age. So, um, the complex I kind of developed in high school was that I was too white for the African kids and too black for the white kids. Yeah. But I would always go back to the hood. So it was like, what are you guys talking about? Like we have Spanish kids, we have white kids, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I developed this complex and like, um, I'm so grateful my mom made that decision and no one in my family speaks French. I'm the only one fully bilingual. Um, it's, it's been a great opportunity here in Canada. If you speak French, you can basically get any job, right? So, oh, nice. um, yeah. So with that being said, like it kind of like gave me an outlook. So just imagine being in the hood and then you're going to people's houses and you're like, whoa, this is how you live. Like your school friends and then coming back and trying to tell people that are just still on the block that they, they can't imagine it. So the biggest, like, and, I, and I have to shout them out, like, um, so I went to a French high school, and then there's another French private school called Lycée Francais. Mm-hmm. It's a more international school, um, and there's this family in Toronto called the Marcolinis. Shout out to Fabrice Marcolini, Raphael Marcolini, and Camille Marcolini. They actually are living in New York right now. They're, they're kind of the touch point for me in terms of the art world and how I approach things now, because as a kid, I would pick her up from like her house she lived down the street from me i'd pick her up and bring her to school Mm -hmm. and then we build a relationship with the family but they owned an art gallery in toronto in the distillery district which is like another posh neighborhood (laughs) um called art core um and that was my first touch point for like art galleries and he it was sick man like i would have be over for dinner they're in a a beautiful italian family but it was the first time i saw like real art in a house i was like like to the point where like do not touch the walls because this is an installation type of vibe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how I started. And then um, tying into like how I, how I got popping off and the art stuff was like, I was a very angry kid. And like, I just used to like do graffiti with me and my friends. Right. So we would be going out in the city and just painting it um, as these kids. And like my, you know, I, I, I know that people don't really share their mentors, but there's a cool artist who like owned a, a, a paint store essentially called the bomb shelter uh shadow bsf and essentially like he just brought us in and like literally like taught us art from a graffiti standpoint and that was like my first mentor as well as fabrice so i had this polar i was having these polarizing experiences like street high art you know yeah poverty high class and you know um it was just very interesting so i kind of just like i saw both sides of it you know and i and i had an understanding for both sides of it that's pretty cool do you think that like growing up in that sort of in-between place of like poverty and like affluence is what sort of drives you to be successful now like maybe that sense of like not knowing where you belong kind of thing okay so yeah like it okay so how i describe it and i I always thought about this because i was like what the fuck is a mentality like how do you guys do this and and i could be wrong about this but like how i differentiate it is like Okay, there's a poverty mindset and then there's a a wealthy mindset. Mm -hmm. So the poverty mindset is money is not attainable. I never can reach it. And I used to think like that. Whereas the wealthy mindset is money comes easily and frequently. So I was was always asking questions and inquiring about stuff. And I noticed that. And it's it's really like I'm so fortunate because like it even goes into university. Like I would always be in the streets. And I never want to go home because I never had safe environments to like dwell in. And I knew my environment was very chaotic that like anything could happen just because of what was going on. Right. So mm-hmm. I was very hyper aware of these, like my environment. And I knew that like I was at the mercy of the streets and I always want to regain control. And like, I feel like with art and graffiti, that that was my way of regaining back control for myself. Um, that's just like how I was approaching it. You know, that's pretty cool. Um, how do, how do you go from, you know, 
street art and graffiti to photography, videography, and working in, you know, mixed media like that? Okay. So, um, what, okay. My school is very, my high school is very academic, right? So one day, like they kind of noticed that we were painting, we would tag the school. They knew it was us. <laughs> my school, okay. My high school to give you context from grade seven to grade 12 was like 300 kids. Okay. So small. a lot of my teachers is super small. Yeah. Like one, my calculus class was like seven kids, wow. <laughs> you know, I would come in high and the like, teacher's just like, yo, you're, you're in the front of the class. Like, you can't hide. <laughs> um, but um, it was very academic. Like my school had this program called the international IB or the baccalaureate international. Um, so it's like, you're the, you, I, I have like a high school diploma from Ontario and then from Switzerland. Okay. Wow. Which then, so my high school didn't really have a big arts program. So what they did was they got funding for us to like, cause they saw that we had a passion for art, graffiti, like kids from other schools would come and hang out. Um, so they like, were like, yo, if you guys paint these canvases, uh, we'll set it up for auction. So I have this picture. I just found it too of my first canvas I painted and I sold it for $1,500 at like 16 or 17. Oh, sure. um, and I was so proud. Right. And like, you know, at that time, we're just like, yeah, we just love doing this. We'll just donate it to a, a cause, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we were just like, we're high off of like, simply just, you know, creating. making something, someone appreciating and creating, right? Um, and then, yeah, the segue was like, because I went in these uh, environments, I moved to Montreal when I was 17. So because of this diploma I had, I didn't go to first year. I don't know how you guys call it in the States, but I went straight freshman to second year. year. Yeah. Okay. Freshman. Okay. So I didn't do, I didn't, I skipped freshman year. I already had the credits for university by doing this baccalaureate. So gotcha. what ended up happening was I moved to Montreal. I went to Concordia university. Um, and how it kind of like, transpired was, um, I have some friends like shout out EXO, shout out Lamar Taylor, shout out Hailey, shout out Abel. But I moved to Montreal and I was always trying to be like, yo, leave the environment and come to Montreal. I have it set up at my own place. Come see what's up. Like university's cool. I have another friend, Brendan, who like wasn't going to go to university at all. And I snuck him into our frosh. <laughs> and ever since then, he's like, I'm going to university now. Right. <laughs> um, and, and now like, it's, it's beautiful because we're all from the hood in different neighborhoods, but we all connected differently in high school. And like now, like everyone's so super successful. Brendan's in private equity wow. from the hood. He just he bought the he actually did something that was cool. He bought the like the hood. He brought the block and then he bought his mom's like house that like they grew up in or like whatever the situation was. And then he has a bunch of properties, which, which I, I'm like super fond of that. I think it's so cool. Right. Yeah. A lot to, of us to get back. That's cool. Up. Yeah, exactly. So there was that. I was always like, you know, like I said, I, I, I was abandoned. So it's kind of like, I always wanted friends and like, when you I say always, you're like, abandoned, like do you mean by your parents or just your dad? Yeah. Like, so I found this out two years ago. My grandma, me and her had a conversation. She's like, you didn't know you were abandoned. Like all this stuff, like you never really like your parents weren't really taking care of you. Like you always had babysitters and it really like as a kid, I didn't know this, but she's like, it, you really took it hard. Right. So wow. um, being accepted always messed me up and like it falls into like love and being an artist and like me shouting out the world that I just want to be accepted. And, you know, that's no longer the case now. I kind of like, I, I really don't care about the acceptance. Not saying I don't care, but I, I take it. The value points are different. Yeah. You feel me? Yeah. No, I do. Um, I don't like, you know, I, I'd rather be, it's, I want it to be unconditional. Yeah. Right. No, I, no, I think that's probably why we became such fast friends in the space. Um, because I like, I, I Geez, I'm not going to say real recognizes real, am I? But yeah, like, like you're like a real person, right? You know what I mean? Like you have genuine hopes for everyone in the space to be successful and like people pick up on that, right? Like so it's yeah, like that sure. selfless sort of mentality that is probably serving you well in your career now. Yeah, for sure. And like to be honest, like I just had really supportive friends. Like, you know, like I had friends that just like, you know, like the XO team, like they were really supportive from day one, like, it would be like, oh, you're in town, come hang out with us. Like, we have this girl spot, you can sleep on the floor. And, and like, I just like, like I said, I never want to go home, right? The environment was so chaotic, but yeah. they just like really adopted me and really like, I always had a sense of community, right? And um, they always supported me. Like, that, that was just like the end, end all. Like, so yeah. that's what I try to do back because to give you another like pointer, like Toronto reminded me of like my mom. It was like the cruel mom, you know? So she loves it. She loves you so much when you're gone, but hates it when you're home. Yeah. And that kind of like, it, it, it just played into and triggered me in many ways. And um, essentially like, 
you know, that's why I went to Montreal, like, you know, and then and that's why I went to LA. That's why I went to New York. And then I, I just kept picked up on these like patterns. So, you know, just like supporting your friends goes a long way. And I really, I'm a firm believer of that. Like, and I just think supporting strangers tells a lot about you, you know, like I'm the guy that like, I do ask like the waiter, how their day is. Like, I don't like, if I go to a corner store or you guys call it a uh, bodega. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I go into a bodega to order ketchup chips or something, I'm ketchup always like, hey, chips. how's your day going? <laughs> this guy <laughs> right? fucking ketchup chips. <laughs> that's, that's a plug, bro. That's a plug. <laughs> Shout out Doritos ketchup chips. Shout out Cheetos ketchup chips. Um, but yeah, like, it's just like, you know, I think like we, we all feel the same way. Like um, I've always been a rebel and an outcast and, you know, I just want, like, I just like, it was like, where was the love, you know? Like where's this unconditional love that like, you know, everyone always like, wanted something from me i felt like and i I was probably jaded and callous and it it took me a long time to kind of let that go you know i i appreciate that i think as like someone who i now consider a friend it's it's kind of cool to understand like sort of where you came from and like some of the shit that you've accomplished so you've done some fucking amazing shit i mean it goes without saying that you're an incredibly you. talented photographer um thank you when you look at sort of like where you came from where you're at where you're going what is like something like one thing or two things that you're most proud of that you've accomplished okay so like that's always like a that's a hard question um like what i'm most proud of was like i went lateral for a very long time and all those skills were transferable so mm-hmm. like for example, I did graffiti, so I'd go paint. I wouldn't paint and carry a digital camera. I would go and paint and shoot on film because there was a barrier to that. Like, if I got caught, like, the cops wouldn't be able to just, like, look at the pictures and say, you did it. Yeah. So that's kind of, like, where my passion for photography rekindled, right? And I, I, it was, like, a whole new world, right? Um, and I guess, like, what I'm most proud of is, like, yo, I, like, I went lateral and then I turned it vertical. And all these skills were transferable for me. Like, you know, like I didn't study art in school. Um, I, you know, I actually got in for biomed at Concordia. Wow. And then I was like, what the hell am I doing in a lab <laughs> looking at fishes? Like, I can't relate to this. Yeah. Where, like, you know, where are the people at? So I switched out. I, would, I did psychology. I, I plugged in business. Um, and then um, that just rolled out with marketing. So um, how I, it's like, a, I, I have a degree in organizational psych. So what ends up happening, it's like, it's kind of like HR, but on the department and organizational level. So like, how do you make teams work? Mm-hmm. How do you like, how do you have workflow that is like, you streamline stuff and increase production capacity. And I kind of approached that same skill to art because I was always like, I wanted to have ownership. I want my art to be sustainable. And that in- inherently keeps me accountable for my art. Yeah. I like that. I, uh, I think of you as a person who's not, you know, listen, I don't want to talk about not being money motivated, right? But like there is a lot of people in the NFT and Web3 space who are solely motivated by by getting the bag, right? I don't necessarily look at you like that. Like I think you're very thoughtful and intentional about the work that you put out and how you're creating uh, your name in the space. Um, but talk to me about motivations in, in life in general and like in your career, like what motivates you to be successful and like what gives you the drive to like kind of keep going? So like, okay, it's, it's like I always ask myself this, like it's, and I ask everybody this. It's like, what's the reason why you wake up in the morning and why you go to bed? So like I was someone that like, you know, I, it feels weird saying it, but like I never felt accepted, right? And I and I realized I had to like accept myself. I had to love myself, yeah. and I had to love what I do. But like my camera is allowed, and my art in general has allowed me to see like a lot of the world. And I and I really believe that it will allow me to see the world, right? Um, in terms of like the space, like look, like we all have bills to pay. But um, you're Italian, right? Do mm-hmm. you speak Italian? Ah, uh, si, un po'. Okay. Do you know what the word opera? means in latin or italian well i don't know what it means in latin but okay so do you know what it means in italian it's like tragedy or something like that it's high art all right right, yeah so i don't do stuff like money's not going to motivate me for art like i i'm someone that like i have to say no on the first try because i will say yes and no one like i don't really like yes i need to get my bills paid and i want to make a sustainable living. I want my art to sustain me and others, but like, it's not going to make me move. Like, you know, my favorite quote is 
from that fire fest is like i'm not gonna suck dick for water <laughs> just to be able to get like what i need to get and make money like yeah. that's just never been me because you know i grew up without money and like you know if i go back to being broke like i know i can figure it out again so um and i feel like there's a quote in the space it's like i came for the money but i stayed for the community right but it's like what are you really doing for the community like you know like I went, swallowed my ego, and I wanted to make it sustainable because I really believe in it. So I lowered my price. I wanted to have an entry barrier point because that's sustainable for anyone to buy into me. Um, it's not about the money. It's about, hey, like, if you fuck with me, you want to collect this? Like, cool. Like, there's a secondary market that no one talks about. Yeah. And that's what I'm really intrigued about. So um, I very, like, I view it like we have to look at money. Money's just energy, right? Like, money is the access token to do whatever you want but it's just energy right like and like i said money like my my mind state now is that money comes easily and frequently mm -hmm. so i'm not worried about money like you know I, I'm, I'm the type of person that you know um i've learned a few lessons in my life regarding being fiscally responsible and Same. like you'll learn a lot by making 50k but you'll learn a lot more by losing 50k for sure so 100 <laughs> you know so so this is where like um, we're tying in, into like the community of Web3 and this NFT stuff was like, you know, um, and we've talked about this is like, I think that the quantity of sales and selling and showing the community that people are collecting is that you, you can't pay for that marketing, Yeah, you know? And, you know, like I get it. People are in very like the, the times we're in and I show compassion for it is like, you know, people are hungry. There's, we don't know half of the situations, like the living circumstances people are living in. We don't know what's going on behind the voice of the phone in yeah. the space, right? right? So I have compassion with it. Do whatever you want. Like I can never tell anybody what to do. But where I'm at is, yo, like a lot of my friends are dope artists. Um, and they really support me regardless if it's a tweet or buying my work. But like I don't want it to be a burden collecting my art um, on you financially and like we're talking about the space last night. I'm like, don't buy my art. And yeah. then, boom, the guy placed a bid. Um, and I feel like I want my art to be very accessible. And mm -hmm. I want to be an accessible artist to be collected. That's and cool. I feel like in, in the long run, that's gonna that's gonna pay it off. So like, remember, like, CryptoPunks and Bored Apes, they were probably like seven to twenty dollars now with inflation when they first minted. Yeah. So I kind of want to be like a branded photographer in the nft space where like you bought him at twenty dollars a hundred dollars early but now his work is worth whatever x mm -hmm. you know so i'm yeah. about the tokenomics of it like i'm not like yesterday's price is not today's price but yeah. you know like buy in early and you'll be rewarded because i don't see myself quitting i have look i've had pictures on my hard drive sitting there not doing anything but collecting dust what is it for me to let it go on the blockchain right now immediately um for like whatever it is and then like we'll figure it out later and you know i i have the benefit and why i like um you know web3 and like the nft spaces because for myself like i can you know pay my past collaborators in the future but that also works for me as an artist like a, a collector buys my piece today low but then if he flips that i get a royalty yeah. and i feel like everyone in the space is focused on focused on the first sale but not really putting value onto the royalty aspect. Mm -hmm. And we've never seen this in art history, right? Like Van Gogh sold paintings. He didn't get a royalty. Yeah. You know? No, for sure. So um, that's, that's just like how I'm looking at it. And that's why I kind of like think this is like a rev revolutionary like <laughs> tool. Um, it doesn't take away from me as an artist, right? Like, you no, know, I, agree. I, I deal with big budgets. We've talked but, about this know. a lot. I think like there are it's an interesting time because it's such an early time in the space. And I think the long-term vitality of it is very good. And if that means that you're selling stuff on the low now, that doesn't mean that that's going to prevent you from selling high later. Right. It's just super, that, super exactly early. It. Um, you've had a, a creative career for a while now. Like, you know, I don't want to call it 10 years, but however long you've been, you know, a photographer and a, and a creator, um, I've only been in this space for about two years now. Um, full-time okay. come August will be two years as a full-time photographer. Um, when I look at your work, it is very creative, very unique. Um, 
there are like there are stories in your images, right? And I think that's something sure. that I struggle with as a as a photographer is like creating my own story when it comes to my photographs. Um, what inspires you to create art? And then tell me about your process of making stories with your photos. Okay, so that's a cool question, and I really appreciate that because, like, to be honest, like, I've never shared this. So, like, okay, so, like, I have a like a diverse portfolio of work, right? And then, like, okay, I had this struggle growing up. Was like, I never wanted to be. Re- I'm, I'm I'm a black Canadian, but I never wanted to be recognized as a black graffiti artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the violin. I don't want to be a black violinist mm-hmm. i played the piano i didn't want to be a black pianist um so i didn't want to be a black artist i feel like that's i want to just be an artist you get what i'm saying mm-hmm. so my pictures never fit neatly into one category right like i did fashion work i did lifestyle i do some provocative stuff too but what like i learned and these transferable skills was like i approach it like i do graffiti so like um i feel like there's a couple pillars in, in photography and i won't get technical but I always try to like clean up reality because I was always imagining and I have a big imagine a daydream a lot, right? So I, I was always imagining like a better circumstance and I would always see people differently. So for my portrait work, it was like I noticed one key trait that like no one's ever seen themselves. They've only seen a picture of themselves and a reflection of themselves. So I would look at them and we would talk about their stories and I would I would like just imagine these things that like I wanted to create. But it was like, I just want to be a part of someone's life and like connect with them and understand them. Um, and show like it's, compassion is just understanding. So like I bring a lot of compassion to my work um, as well as nostalgia. And I had a lot of influences growing up. Um, so what I did, what I do in my approach is like, I got to first understand you as a human, like, you know, because like, it's weird. Um, in French, a model's called mannequin. Like you're just a mannequin. And I was like, yo, man, like, you're human. You're, you're very dimensional, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, what makes you wake up in the morning and or go to bed? What motivates you? So um, I would have these conversations. And a lot of these people are my friends and uh, great friends and, like, through these different struggles. And, like, you know, a lot of them were, like, like I had a trauma with my, my mom. So, like, I, I had a weird dynamic with women. And I was always trying to understand this relationship that, like, I want to have with, like, us, like, my friends, um, you know, my family and loved ones. So I was, that's basically what I'm exploring in a lot of this stuff because like I've been through a lot of stuff and I've had like, I've been betrayed by myself and family, friends and loved ones. So I was just trying to like not to be a calloused human being Mm -hmm. and jaded. So I was trying to like open up my mind and, you know, just kind of like see the silver lining and stuff. So with my photography is like, I just like people watching. And I just like, I under, I try to understand them. And I think there's good in everybody. And that might be naive, but I just try to like, look at them for who they are, um, not their struggles and like what's going on right now, you know? Yeah. And, I, and then I take that in the picture. <laughs> how, how do you, I was say, how do you take that trauma and like the shit that you dealt with as a kid and funnel that into your work? So like, it's deep, man. Like I, I, I had to sit on this shit for a long time, right? Like there's been like there's been periods of time where like, I've had to just sit in a room by myself and just like I have to figure this out because mm-hmm. like I don't like where life is going, and I have to understand myself. And then I realize I have to like be a little easy on myself. Like I didn't have it easy, but like I've done so much, and um, it's like weird because like a lot of my friends I grew up with didn't know I was broke and living in poverty. Like you know, like they didn't know. Right, because like they see you like, in the same place as them, and they assume that it's yeah, the same. Yeah, exactly. So, like, there's a university called McGill. So, all my friends went to, like, this affluent university. Like, they're all, like, business owners and CEOs, and, and I'm just, like, I'm an artist. And they're, like, you're the coolest guy. I wish I was doing what you're doing. I'm, like, nah, man, I wish I was doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you own businesses and shit. So, um, but, like, no one ever sees themselves for what they are, and we're not really kind to ourselves. So, I sat with myself for a bit, and I had to, like, you know, there's a few incidences that happened that like there might be a higher power out there that's like watching out for me. So, you know, I, and, and then I just like, you know, I have to like really just analyze these things that like hurt me and traumatize me. And, you know, I feel like to understand a human, you have to visit their hell. You feel me? Mm-hmm. And 
I was someone that like, I didn't do the work early on in my twenties and I was always running away from my hell and it kept catching up with me. So I kept I, like, what's that quote about being crazy? It's like approaching the same solution to the, a problem. The definition of crazy expecting, is doing the same thing yeah. over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I, I was like kept in this loop, bro. And then like, you know, I was just like, all right, this is cool because now I've had the skills and, and I know how these things can go. And I have the like, hey, I have these lessons that I learned, these L's, lessons. <laughs> but <laughs> these lessons like really helped me navigate on, on how I want to approach stuff now. So I can recognize these patterns and be like, oh shit, I know where this is going. Yeah. So let me just either like fix up or, you know, because it's going to get crazy. Um, so yeah, that's... <laughs> when you are like pitching yourself for a project or a job or a collaboration. Like, do you ever have questions about your skill set? Do you ever have doubts about your ability to deliver? Like, do you ever have anything inside of you that's telling you you're not good enough? Yeah. So I had crippling, what's the word again? It's imposter like uh, imposter syndrome. Um, but this is where like, yo, like find a community that supports you because my friends were very supportive. And I'm talking about like, you know, my friend Carl and Skylar, they're like CEOs of a crazy marketing company, um, you know, here, but they were always like, you're the dopest photographer, even with my imposter syndrome, they helped me push through that. And um, like, I remember the day that I really, it really cracked for me it was like, I have to own it. And mm -hmm. they gave me a blank check buying a print. Now, we all know the price for prints, bro. It costs like seven bucks to manufacture a print, but <laughs> Um, they gave me the opportunity, like, this is why it's funny, right? It's just art. It's like, I'm laundering money. But <laughs> um, basically, $7 print, scaling that to a blank check, I write my own number. And I wrote boldly 1500 because it reminded me of that time when I was in high school and I sold this painting for 1500 So I just like that number for some reason. But um, And then I just had to own it. Like, no one can tell you that you're good. And it's going to make you believe it. It's kind of like that movie Inception. It's like, you know, it's kind of like you have to own it, you know? So I, I feel believe like that. that's what happened. I have, I have irrational confidence in myself and, and my ability to be successful. Like I think like it is just a foregone conclusion, right? Like I might not be in the position of success that I want to be today, but there's very little doubt in my mind that whether it's a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, I will be in the version of my success that I oh, see for, sure. for myself. Um, and it's just funny. It's not funny to me, but it is interesting to me that like you have incredible art right so like the thought that you might feel like you don't you're not confident in your abilities or you you feel like an imposter in any way is crazy right because like to a lot of a lot of photographers your work is aspirational it's fucking dope work so it's like if you well, thank you if you feel that way it's like it's un, it's understandable how that could be like a replicatable feeling across any creative in any sort of yeah. space and that's why i kind of like talking to other creatives because like you like your work's phenomenal like Thank we you. have similar experiences, even though like we're on like a different part of the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but this is like, there's a common thread in this. And that's because like, as artists, I feel like we're documenting our times. Right. Mm -hmm. And with that, like we don't communicate. This is the first time like artists have been able to like kind of communicate on a global scale. Like we've globalized communication for artists. Like before we had the Freemasons, right. Which was like, oh, we're a cool club. Like we're, we're like Masons. <laughs> architects like poets writers and all that stuff so we, we it was never like that was kind of gatekeep it's like this gatekeeping society and then we've opened it up and i think that's like kind of like what the issue is as like even as humans like we don't talk about what's really going on between us 100%. and then we, ex we expect our friends to just know what's going on 100 you know yeah i so, think like I that is crucially important it's something that i talk about a lot on the podcast because for some reason or another, like people don't feel comfortable like going to their friends or family and saying like, "Hey, I'm struggling with this, that, or another." Like it's like a, it, it's the perceived burden of whatever I'm dealing with, and it's like a very, very unfortunate reality of life that people don't feel like it's okay to go to their yeah. friend and say, "Hey, I'm dealing with this." 
it's really sad. And I think if we can like really destigmatize like going to the people who care about you most and being like, Hey, I need something. I need help. I need whatever, like for whatever it might be. It's like, bro, I might need someone to go to the movies with like whatever it is. Like it could be yeah. nothing, let alone it could be big shit. It, w- it would go a long way to like f- furthering the, she's the, or, or, or slowing the, the descent of society. <laughs> yeah, no, right. For sure. And like, I remember like, Man, like, uh, shout out my friend Carl, right? Like, we went out one night, and I, and, like, I was very frustrated because it was like, bro, like, you don't know what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And I literally broke down this bar and was just like, this is what it is, bro. Like, I didn't grow up like you guys. And he's from the same neighborhood as me, right? But, like, we went, to, I would have went to his school, but if I'd gone to that school, I would have lived a different life, put it yeah. that way. Mm-hmm. Like, we wouldn't have been friends, basically. Sure. But... Um, the one time like, I, I, I finally understood and it clicked and I felt bad because I was just like, bro, like I didn't grow up like you, like you went to McGill, da, da, da. but like I then realized I'm like, yo, I don't talk about this. I, I ever, I was gatekeeping myself from the world. Yeah. And that's something that like I stopped doing, bro. It's like as an artist, as a human, I stopped gatekeeping myself from the world because I lived my whole life putting on a mask, lying to myself, lying to everybody, thinking that everything was good. And I just like navigated. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think to, to some extent that is what everybody does, right? We put a face on our social media, on our Instagram, yeah. on our Facebook, on our Twitter, and we put on this perceived my life is perfect and everything's fine. And when in reality, things could be chaotically falling apart. I mean, I, I was very guilty of this when I lost my job in the middle of the pandemic. I played yeah. it off like the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Meanwhile, I was like, an anxious depressed mess i was like i had no sense of self like i felt like everything in my life was chaotically falling apart um and then to some degree that like that fakeness right that perceived everything's fine and i'm telling everyone i'm good is what sort of motivated me to like now create a life where i'm like very unabashedly open about the things that i'm thinking and feeling and i think if you can get to a point where you can be honest with yourself, let alone the people in your life. If you could just be honest with yourself and be like, this is where I'm at and this is what I need to be doing, you can be you could be successful and do whatever the fuck you want in the world, in, in this life, for sure. I agree, man. I agree. And like, um, I think we all re- can relate to this um, is like, I was fucked up and no one noticed. And yeah. I was angry because no one noticed, right? So then, like, I was like, you know, I was, man, like, yeah i was just like super messed up and no one noticed and i, I kind of think that like i wanted i i was getting more and more on the edge and going deeper in the hole mm-hmm. because i wanted someone to notice yeah. <laughs> it kind of sounds messed up right dude I, and then, like, I completely agree you know what i'm saying so I, and it became to a point where i was like yo like no one's coming to save you you're in a hole stop picking up the shovel um and, and like i don't know if i should say this but like it just took me one night to play playing Russian roulette with a pistol and it jammed. Wow. Um, and it was like, that would have been the one. Right. So it, I was just like, fuck this shit. Like I'm, I'm just not in a good place. Um, I have to do this for myself and I had to figure it out for myself because no one was coming to save me. But then in turn, I knew that I wanted to become the person that would have saved myself. And that's like how my approach is. It's like, I'm not like, I'm not a superhero, bro, like, you know, but I just know, like, what I needed as a person growing up and, like, even, like, in my adulthood. So I just try to, like, understand and lead with compassion. Wow, man. I mean, that's heavy. It doesn't have to be, though, but it's just, like, it's just a conversation, I mean, you know? It, yeah, no, it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I, I, no, I appreciate it. I mean, listen, vulnerability and honesty is – it goes a long way to, like, helping people grow, and I think – you know, I've never had those sort of thoughts of like ending it all. Like I, I've, I think I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. I feel like everyone at one time or another has thought about like the fact that life would be a lot easier if it wasn't lived. And it's a, it's a toxic mindset. It is a tragic mindset. Super I mean, toxic. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those things where, again, if we could get to a point as a, as a society where it's okay to ask for help, it's okay to talk to your friends about the things that you're thinking and feeling, like a lot of these things could get better, right? And we're not there yet, sure. but as, you know, mental health issues get continually less destigmatized um, or more destigmatized, it is going to be a, a benefit for all. Um, as, as like your your career has sort of progressed. You've done some pretty fucking cool shit. I mean, music videos, 
amazing shoots, awesome clients, great collaborators. Um, do you have like a dream project for yourself moving forward? Is there something that you have in the back of your mind as, as like a, a huge goal for you in your career? Yeah. Like, okay. So like, this is, this is a cool topic. I've never like shared this, but like, I'm a dreamer, man. Like I really, I really believe I want to change the world through my art. And like, I think like my solution to that is making it very accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll get there. I know I, I'm going to say this. I know I'll get there. It's just gonna be a matter of time. So like, um, on this same topic and it's so within is like, like, you know, taking yourself out of a dark place, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But taking someone else out of a dark place is art. So I, agree. I feel like I want to kind of bring back and go back to my roots. Like, I, I you know, I want to go back to Jamaica. I want to go back to all these developing countries and just kind of like, you know, bring a different aspect that really gives back to the community. So like, like I said, my three pillars for any business or like shit, like for yourself is like being sustainable, having ownership of stuff and like it holds you accountable. So like, I eventually like, you know, I, I dealt like with not having a safe environment. Like I want to create safe spaces that like people can just go to, like, it doesn't mean like no questions asked, whatever you're going through. And there's like resources available to like, like a private unique resource center that tailors to you, you yeah. know? That's and then cool. we can just, yeah, that's what I'm like, what I'm really on. It's like, you know, I like, I think it takes a community to raise a kid mm-hmm. and there's a lot of kids out there that just don't know what's going on. They don't know how to express themselves. And I was one of those kids. Like I, I was in these environments and I didn't know what was going on. Like no one talked to me about it and just told me what was going on. I had to make my own conclusion, but there were no resources. Right. Yeah. So I, I just want to be like, you know, I was just, I, I like in this web three space, it's very easy to see people who are disingenuous in their community building. Right. It's all for yeah. engagement farming and like the desire to grow themselves. Um, yeah. but when it comes to you and the way that I see you creating, uh, a community around yourself and your work, it's, it's more about including everyone in, in your journey. And I look at it like that way for myself as well. Like yeah, my successes, sure. you're, you're yeah, my successes will be because of the people that I surround myself and I bring with me versus the fact that I'm like, John's going to be the number one fucking, you know, it's like, that's not how I yeah. live. Right. Like the, I think when you go through like the last two years on a pandemic, like what's important is like your family, your friends, the people around you and that like everyone's good. Right. And I think when, when I look at like what you're doing in the space and like how you're sort of like creating this community around yourself, it's, it's very aspirational for me and for others. Thank you. I I appreciate that. You're doing the same thing. Like it's my first podcast, like, you know, and like, I feel like we're all human, you know? So like, it's just getting to know people. And, um, like, again, like my grandfather would always have these quotes. So I'll drop a few of them. Um, the one that like ties into this conversation is like, okay, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm like, yo, like I, I don't want to be the only like, like successful friend. Like I want my, all my friends to be in positions. Like I'm not successful until I can put my friends, family and loved ones in positions to better themselves mm-hmm. and then other people. So like, that's one of them. Right. And then I guess the other thing is like, I want to, I'm going to be working on this like coffee table book. And that's just for like more vanity and like, you know, the art side of things. I just want to create stuff that I'm passionate about. But if you ever want to keep a secret, put it in a book. Right. And then the opposite is true. It's like, if you want to get a secret, read a book, yeah. <laughs> you know? So there's like, there's, that's just kind of like what plays into this. And like, I love that. I, I think I, I love building communities. It's something that like I've always done organically, but I just wasn't aware of it. Like I had a graffiti crew growing up and we would chill with other graffiti crews and tap into different cities and, you know, and then like, you know, it's just like we, we, we as humans, we, we kind of like go to common spaces and places that like we know that um, we can have a different perspective. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's book clubs, there's chess clubs, you know, like I kind of want to like have like the art club similar to like a chess club where like we That's play cool. and we like grow together and like, you know, like. Wait, do you play chess? I do. Yeah. All right. We'll have to get some games in. All right. That's cool. I'm down. Um, one of one of my biggest struggles that I've had since moving into a creative career is how I like measure what my success is, right? Like so for so much of my twenties and I guess to some extent my early thirties, like I could very linearly measure success as how much money I was making, right? So like okay. in my mind, the more money I made, the more success I had. Now 
for all of that time period, I never stopped to ask myself if that was correct or if that was what was correct for me. And now since I've sort of moved into this creative career, it's not necessarily about like, listen, I need to pay my bills, take bills and like breaking even aside. Like what I need to be a success is opportunities. It's not monetary, right? So like I want to go on tour Mm -hmm. with a band. I want to travel the world with my camera. Like those are how I would measure success. But for a while I was like really the the way I, I measured my success in my creative career started out sort of toxic in that it was like how much money I'm making. Um, how for you do you measure success in your career? Okay. So like I have this company called dead in 100, right? So it's all about like legacy. So like um, I kind of like my, I got my start in like the music business and like there's always this thing it's like who owns your masters and like who owns your body of work and a lot of musicians like they don't own their masters they don't they probably don't even really realize that the the business that they're operating in so i always want to have ownership of my own work which Mm -hmm. is like a lot of my personal work a lot of my work i like i I take value in that knowing that i own it like i own the negatives and then that will live for 200 years like you know it won't dissolve um but like how like success is a weird like how do you measure success like so for me yeah so for me money no it's not money anymore and and it used to be it was strictly money Mm -hmm. um the way i measure success now is like do i wake up every morning happy if the answer is yes there you go i'm successful and i think for a long time in my life no matter no matter how much money i was making i wasn't waking up happy and my life like exhibited that right like i was doing a lot of things and like trying to fill my life up with stuff and experiences that like weren't for me right bottle service at clubs like going to vegas fucking four times a year like just doing degenerate shit that i was like never asked myself like yo where where is john in these experiences right like where's john in more shoes more clothes more watches like i never asked those questions and i think for a long time like in your 20s it's okay not to ask those questions right but you get to a point when you're you hit 30 where the things in life that matter start to becoming a lot more crystal clear, right? You've lost friends, you've lost family, and you start getting that sort of tragic imprint in life. And for me, when that started to happen, I started reframing the way that I looked at like what my life is and what I wanted it to be. So for me, success is I am able to live a life in, that affords me the opportunity to wake up every morning and I'm happy, right? And and if that ever stops being the case, I'll know it's time to make a change, right? Like if I woke up tomorrow morning sure. and I was like, man, I'm not feeling this. Like this is not me, right? Like that would give me a very clear indication that it's time to do something else, right? And I'm lucky in that sure. like when I pick up my camera, there's nothing that feels better in my life. There's no like there's no question like when I if I'm shooting digitally, I take a picture, I look at the back LCD and I fucking geek out on that shit. I get happy, I get giddy. Like when I know I've got the shot, like you could see it on my face. I'm fucking smiling ear to ear, I'm probably doing a little yeah, dance, a little sure. jig, you know what I mean? So like for me, that's how I measure success. Am I happy? Um so yeah. I agree with that. So like me too. Like I, I'll add in like Um, am I being present, right? Like, am I present for the moment? Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of how I measure success to some degree, because like I can have all the money of the world, but like, I understand that like, it's just going to minimize my unhappiness, you know, it doesn't make you, it doesn't make you happy. So, um, like I consider you successful. I consider myself successful now. Like, do I have everything I want? No, but, um, yeah, listen, there, there, there is, there are, like tangible things that I want, right? Like, so whether it is to own my own home, probably not. Whether it is to have like my own creative space, like my own studio, right? Like I need a certain level of financial freedom to have another rent payment, right? So like I'm not there yet. But like when I have my own photo studio space, I'll know I'm fucking successful, right? So like there are levels to this game, obviously. And it is to some unfortunate degree, obviously tied to monetary stuff. But what what that monetary aspect of it to me is not necessarily affording myself the opportunity to buy more shit, right? It's not about having fucking XYZ. It's about how can I make more money to reinvest into myself as a person to enjoy experiences more, right? So like I, I just spent so much time and money 
in the dumbest, most useless possible for ways sure. that like it doesn't, it's, I'm not regretful for it. Right. I think they were very, very valuable lessons. You learn a lot about yourself when you blow money on dumb shit. Right. So at the end of the day, like I'm extremely thankful for those learning experiences. It's just not where I'm at now. I, I agree. So like why you probably feel that way is because new levels, new devils. Right. Yeah. So like, um, okay. So, this is why I asked you what, what you define success as, because like for me is like, I'll be successful. I'm successful now, but I'll be successful by my definition when like I can put a random kid in a position to be successful himself. Um, when I can just like hire my mom to do bullshit tasks yeah. and there's a budget allowed for her just to be able to fuck off and do whatever the hell she wants. Um, and this came from like, you know, um, one of my friends, Johnny Geosaurus, he passed away, right? And like he was a fashion designer here here in Toronto. He did New York Fashion Week, his first one, okay? Mm -hmm. And then the next day he died after doing his first show. Wow. I'll preface that with he was epileptic. Okay. But he had an epileptic epileptic seizure, and then he passed away that very next day after a successful night. Okay. Wow. But when he was my roommate in university, when we lived together, we had a dog together, we had all these experiences. He always knew that day was coming, you know? So he was just like, none of this shit matters. Like yeah. none of this, I can't take this with me when I'm dying because he had to, he had to like, you know, reconcile with the fact that like he has like an issue, mm -hmm. a medical issue and well, that day's gonna come. And he, he prepared us. He prepared our, us for it. Our own mortality <laughs> is, if it's not the greatest motivator in your life, you are living a life in a comfortable level that I would say a vast majority of human beings can't relate to, right? Like if you come from generational sure. wealth, your own mortality is never on the, the topic of your head. But like for me, I don't come from generational wealth and I'm a person who works for a living and my own mortality is extremely present ever in my mind. And it's not that I'm like morbid, but I think about all that I want to accomplish in my life and that list is extremely long. And if I died tomorrow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad. Like I didn't accomplish things. I would just be disappointed that I hadn't reached all of my goals. And that's, that's life, right? If you don't have that, you're never going to be successful, right? If you don't have that drive, that tenacity to like want to leave an imprint on this world when you're gone, it's going to be very difficult for you to have any sort of success in life. I agree with you, but always add perspective because like, you know, perception is reality. So like when I went to Johnny's funeral, right? Um, it was a first, like, man, I, I don't cry, but that funeral made me break down. Yeah. Right. Like it was an Orthodox Greek funeral. They're very like, whoa, mm -hmm. it's like very down. So his dad grabbed me and looked at me in the face and I'm, I'm like, you know, seeing a, a grown man, like a strong grown man cry after losing a son, like that will break anybody. But yeah. he grabbed me and, and he said something that I will never forget to this day. I got to thank him one day because it changed. It spiraled my whole life into this thing, right? So he said, just remember that you have other people's dreams on your shoulder. Yeah, wow. And that's what, like, really was just, like, you know, it really hit home for me because I was just, like, I can't be selfish with the way I'm living. Yeah. Because I have other right. people's dreams on my shoulders. There are people out there that had to, like, you know, bend and, you know, bend their will and, like, settle and you know i'm it really human like i'm super grateful for the opportunities i have but like at what cost right there's a lot of people that supported me in that journey like and i'm yeah. not talking about supporting like cheer you on bro like a lot of people have like really put their best foot forward into like helping me develop as a human and showing me a different perspective and have invested in me um so that's like kind of like what goes down so like in terms of success i think that you're if you look at it in that perspective like everyone's successful. Yeah. I, I, I look you at know, like, I think ultimately the number one way in which I'll, me I'll be able to measure success will likely be something that I won't be able to do. Right. It'll be like at my funeral. Right. If there's a fucking lot of people there and they're all super sad that I'm not here anymore. Like that's a pretty good way to measure success. Right. Like I but live you won't see it. No, I know, but like, you, won't be you know, <laughs> I might, I might be like floating up top. Like I might be, you know, yeah. I might, might be looking down or something. You know what I'm saying? But like in all seriousness, yeah. like I think, 
success in life can be measured in a a myriad of ways and it could be financial and it could be career and it could be uh, you know being a dad being a parent whatever but at the end of the day it's like the the success that i want is with the company that i keep and the people that i have in my life and i think that if i can live my life the way i want to live and be a positive beacon in any way shape or form to the people around me that would be uh a great way um yeah so if i understand correctly you're just saying that the impact you will have on other people yeah I think we're saying the same thing john yeah, yeah. I, I think that, and i think that is what success is right yeah. it's like i agree like, how are you impacting people right like how, like how are you touching people like not like how's the weather john like yeah. you know how are you touching them like yeah you know because well, you never know what people are going through yeah i agree i agree completely i think it's it's uh yeah yeah it's got me thinking i think yeah i like that um, yeah, I like to spend the, the last bit of every podcast doing sort of like a rapid Q and a, some of these are super yeah, easy. Good, some of them are a little <laughs> bit more in depth. My first question is, All right, this what, was good. what's your favorite book? Um, my favorite book. Oh, that's, this is so hard. Uh, fight club by Chuck Palahniuk, but I'll also add in for like the intellectuals, um, lateral thinking by Edward Bonneau. I might be butchering the name. Okay. Um, I've read fight club. I've seen the movie and, uh, have not read the other one. Um, what is your favorite movie? Oh man, this is so hard. <laughs> Give me a couple. Oh, they're so okay. Okay, so I love Kill Bill. Yeah, volume one or two. I love Ma- both. I, okay. I look at it like one whole movie, right. just split. Um, I like The Matrix. Yeah, Morpheus. Did you see the new <laughs> um, one? Nah. Yeah, it's all right. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I didn't, I didn't love it. It was like just. It was just all right. What's it about? I mean, Neo is like still in the matrix. It's just, I, it's like you know, he's back in the matrix again. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm good. Yeah, it's I'm it's good. listen. There there is a nostalgia factor for it. Like I fucking love the first three movies. Like you know, they were our childhood, man. Ninety nine, like fuck, I was fourteen years old when that shit came out, and it was like huge. Like I just remember it being like so revolutionary when it came out. Um, and I I think like they just tried to do too much in the new movie and like they were really pie in the sky in terms of their like themes and like what they were trying to say with the movie and it just didn't land for me i've watched it twice i liked it better the second time than i did the first time so it's it's just okay solid 5.5 out of 10 okay i feel you so look if you like the matrix a lot of these movies are inspired by anime mm-hmm. so if you like the matrix watch ghost in the shell yeah i've seen ghost in the shell i played the video okay, game so that's too. like yeah oh what there's a video game yeah i mean it's not it's not new this is like yeah okay 100 back years ago yeah back in the day <laughs> uh what's your favorite right. food okay that's really hard man give me a couple Jamaican Jamaican food. Okay, so uh, my girlfriend's Japanese and Portuguese. So like, I love sushi, Japanese cuisine. I love like the like I look at cuisine like art. Like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I cook a lot too. So it's like I cook with color and stuff. It's a different rhythm. Like I like jerk chicken. Yeah. Um, I, I like you know I, I love like cultural foods and fusions. Um, I love tacos, Mexican yeah. food. I'm getting tacos um, from I love tonight. Food. I've already you decided. Know, like, <laughs> don't oh man i'm jealous um i have to hit up the carnita spot but you know i like I'm, I'm actually like i'm you know my palate's very diverse like i love anything like you know we have the classic french steak feet mm-hmm. type of vibe but like you know i'll eat anything like i'll try anything once cool you know because i feel like food represents culture yeah i know i totally agree um do you believe in an afterlife okay so this one's weird man like i really don't know but I know that like energy can't be destroyed or created. Right. And like, uh, like, I don't know, man, that's a tough one. Like I, I don't like, who knows, who really knows, but what I do know is that, (laughs) no, no, but what I do know is like, there's something beyond us, you know, like, yeah, my, my thought process. And like, I think this is like an evolved, uh, mindset, you know, cause like I, I grew up in a religious Catholic household and I, I wouldn't say I'm very religious now. I'm very spiritual. Like I pray, um, you know, okay. I don't know that like Jesus Christ is sitting on a, on a cloud somewhere listening to my prayers. Um, but I just think of like the, the sheer, like improbable fact that I exist and it was born and yeah. human beings exist and we're born in general. And like we have, we're having this conversation on a fucking 
Wednesday afternoon on a fucking Apple mm-hmm. device. Like it's just a, it's just surely improbable the fact that we exist. So it'd be crazy for, sure. for there not to be something afterwards. And listen, I don't think it's a party in the sky kind of thing, but I don't know what what it will be or won't be. Yeah, I don't know what my take is on that, but like I do know that like in my life, like I I've been tapped into like information that I don't have that I don't know the genesis or origin to. So yeah. No, there has yeah. to be something above me. Like, you know, I sometimes feel like there's something above me and I'm just like a receptor mm-hmm. and just like tapping into something. So like, you know, yeah, there has to be something. I agree. Um, what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? <sighs> Stay jiggy. Don't get juggled. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> uh, so like, just be on your toes. Just be aware that like, you know, don't be at the mercy of your environment to get juggled around and then they spit back out. Hmm. You know, because like, like that, that will leave you like that will leave you really scarred and jaded and, yeah. <laughs> you know. No, I like that. Uh, last question. Give me a recommendation for something that you've recently consumed. Uh, it could be a book, a TV show, a movie, a podcast, a restaurant, fucking literally anything. Just give me something that you want to recommend for the people who are hearing you today. Okay, only if you attempt to reach out to him. That's the only way I'll do this. Deal. Okay, his name is Dr. Huberman. Mm-hmm. He's a neuroscientist at Stanford University. Okay. Like, during COVID, when I was like, my experience during COVID was a little different. Like, I, I needed to be isolated. Like I said, I met my girlfriend. We're at the, my uncle's cottage for a bit. It was the best time of my life. But yeah. what helped me do the self-work was understanding my like what's going on in my mind and he's a neuroscientist dr huberman follow his podcast i'm not trying to plug i don't work for him (laughs) i'm just saying that the value of his information has like revolutionized my healing like i wouldn't be the person i am today in front of you without that like it accelerated my healing because there's, there's sometimes things that you understand about yourself but like his approach is this is what's going on in your brain so like he just released one um mo- he always does it on Mondays and this one was about grief and depression and like I suffered with that for a long time like it was so hard for me to grieve because like you know a lot of my friends just passed away during covid like I lost like 10 friends and it was not Shit. due to covid was, wow. so like I became numb to it right like and it, that one really hit me but like overall the wealth of knowledge that he brings to you and like He's just bringing scientific tools with, for dealing with life. And I, I think that's so amazing. Like, shout out Dr. Huberman. I, I'm personally, like, I want to talk to him because he really helped me out, like, without knowing it. And it's just because he was being him. And, like, you know, so if you that's have cool. a chance, like, watch one of his podcasts as you might discover something. Very, I absolutely will. And I'll I'll DM him after we get off the line and try to get him on my podcast. Please do. Just for you. Invite me. Plug <laughs> me in. For sure. <laughs> uh, Ashton, dude, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I am uh, greatly appreciative of not just your time, but your friendship. You're a cool dude. You oh, inspire me, me to create better work. You inspire me to be a good dude. And uh, yeah, man, I'm just super thankful uh, for your time, for your friendship, and for all that you've provided to me over these last couple of months. Yo, I'm, I really appreciate you, man. Like I said, like, just our conversations have been so, like, helpful in my journey. Just even opening up, like, you know, like, like we're homies. Like, so, you know, just reach out anytime. And, and like, I'm really glad and I really value this friendship. I can't wait for us to meet up in person um, and just kind of connect and just vibe out some more, okay? Fuck yeah, man. Have a great day, buddy. All right, you too, bro. Peace.